0: It would be really helpful to have your Bibles open or your Bible app ready. So John chapter 4, we're continuing, well really we're finishing our two-part series, our mini-series in What Would Jesus Say to the Satisfied? That was last week and this week to the unsatisfied. There's also an outline in the back of the news, so if you want to follow along, feel free to have a look at that. But right now let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can know you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself through your Son and also in your Word. We pray this day, Lord, as we open up your Word, that you would be at work opening up our hearts in the power of your Spirit. Lord, may we come to know more and more the beauty of you, the living water that you offer, and the security that we find in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. In a major study of life satisfaction in Australia about 10 years ago now, the authors made a whole series of observations, including that as a nation, we have one of the highest life expectancy levels in the world. We have one of the lowest child mortality rates. We have a public health system that some countries would only dream of. And our cities are recognised among the best in the world to live in. They said, if we're sad or need a pep up, we can just indulge in retail therapy to see us through. (laughs) Really deep. Uh, They went on to say, but despite our relative affluent lifestyles, the question remains, are we satisfied? The findings of the report suggest that actually, a lot of Australians say they are pretty satisfied. That but though and large, that the satisfaction we feel is often dependent upon what we have. There is a type of conditional satisfaction that may be in reach for some, with the implication that if only those who are unsatisfied had those things, then they might be satisfied too. Consume it, achieve it, experience it, and you'll be fine. But I wonder if that's really... Enough. Not only does it is a kind of assert that we can be satisfied regardless of how bad things are for others, but so often when we face extraordinary challenges or heartache, the inevitable things in life, things that might disrupt us and cause us to sit up, it scratches away at the veneer of a satisfaction the world promises is good, but ultimately is revealed to be fleeting and temporary at best there are many good things in life but when those things become the object of our ultimate satisfaction the source of our identity our meaning and our purpose then they're going to let us down maybe you're here today you're joining us online and there are aspects of your life with which you are unsatisfied with your job relationships your body resources, how things have gone or are going, of longings that have gone unfulfilled, of why things seem to be going well for others, but not for you. Perhaps just a general sense that things are not as they're meant to be. What would Jesus say to that? What would Jesus say to the unsatisfied? Well, I think in the encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, we witness three simple yet profound things that Jesus might say. I know you, I alone can satisfy your greatest thirst, and will you ask me to? So first, to the unsatisfied, Jesus says, I know you. Verse 3, so if you look with me, verse 3, chapter 4 of John. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, on the surface, this seems like a pretty ordinary event, not a big deal at all. But we have to understand that this encounter actually makes for layer upon layer of scandal. Uh, first of all, Jesus goes through Samaria, the region of Samaria. Uh, the Samaritans and the Jews had despised one another for centuries. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be outsiders and outcasts who'd intermarried with the oppressors. And so typically as a Jew, you would take a longer route around Samaria in order to get to Galilee. But not this day. Uh, Jesus controversially goes through Samaria, not only encountering a Samaritan, but engaging alone in conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now, not only would most Jewish teachers have avoided being alone with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, but as we discover later on, a woman who, as miraculously known by Jesus, has been married five times and is currently living with a man to whom she is not married now we don't know the circumstances of the five marriages that have gone before but there's no doubt that she would have been treated with great suspicion in that culture but if that's not enough jesus does something totally unthinkable he asks her for a drink he's flouted conventional practice of avoiding the area He's disregarding social convention by speaking to a woman alone. He's ignoring centuries of cultural tension by interacting with a Samaritan. And now by asking for a drink, he's risking being made religiously unclean by touching the very drinking vessels that she's handled. It's it's a total shock to the disciples when they get back from doing the shopping. But it's also totally surprising to the woman. He says in verse 9, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The woman is surprised. Here she is, just quietly going to the well, seemingly trying to avoid coming across actually anyone else. People would normally go to collect water twice a day, morning and evening, but not at noon, not the hottest point in the day. But maybe she's going at that point in the day, because she's trying to actively avoid encountering any of the townsfolk who knew her reputation. But here comes Jesus, not oblivious to her situation nor her past, not ignorant of the historical or cultural boundaries between them, but in full knowledge of who she is, he speaks to her. And of course, this is not just an isolated event. Jesus, time and time again cross-cultural, religious and social boundaries to meet people. Not ignorant of who people are, not endorsing when people had done wrong, but entering right into the thick of their lives, even when it might be costly to him. And of course, on a much grander scale, that's precisely what Jesus has done for us. The Greeks, well, the Greeks at the time, thought the idea that a God would come to earth and get messed up with humankind. They thought that was absolutely preposterous. They thought it was a humiliating idea. But that's exactly what Jesus has done. Jesus knows us. He knows our circumstances and our sin. He knows the unfulfilled longings or shame, the disappointments, the uncertainty. And the knowledge of all that, he's not remained distant. He knows us. He knows you. Not in some sort of scary big brother way where you think your phone's always listening. But I know you and I love you. In fact, I've crossed every barrier to meet you for I alone can satisfy your greatest need. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus is offering her living water. Now, I want you to know both the substance and the source of that So first the substance, when the woman hears about this living water, she is both confused and sceptical. So their ancestor Jacob had provided this well, it's a real place. And whilst it's not mentioned in the Old Testament, in Jewish tradition it was believed that when Jacob dug the well, that it overflowed miraculously for seven days with water and has provided for the people ever since. And so for Jesus to come along... And to claim that he offers a type of water that is greater, not stagnant nor still, but a water that flows freely like a spring, this is a massive claim, not just about the substance of the living water, which he's still totally confused about, but the identity of the one who offers it, who is claiming to be the very source. can you imagine him saying, "Jesus, do you think you can provide?" In a way greater than Jacob. What could possibly qualify you, Jesus, to make that offer? You don't even have a bucket. But of course, what qualifies him to make the claim is not the tools that he carries, but that he is the King, he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. The woman, she gradually comes around to see that, First, she recognises him as a prophet. We see that in verse 19. But by the end, she must be telling all of her town, her town she may be afraid to even show her face, that he is to save the world. But right now, she's not only underestimated who Jesus is, but the gift that he offers. I wonder if you ever do that with Jesus, if you ever underestimate Jesus underestimate who he is and the gift he offers so you might say that we don't but if we search for satisfaction in gold's world without god then that's exactly what we're doing we're saying with our lives i don't think you are enough and if that's where we land It's because we haven't understood what we need, truly need, and the one who offers it. Jesus says, I'm not talking about quenching your physical thirst, but something much greater than that. I'm talking about your ultimate need. Jesus is saying, you cannot get satisfaction from this world without me. Note the emphasis, verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, only I can quench your ultimate thirst. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. and have to keep coming here. To draw water uh, the woman is still thinking that jesus is speaking about physical water she's thinking all right this magic sort of water jesus it sounds great i'd love not to have to come to this well twice a day day after day i'd love for my life to be easier i'd love to avoid the the critical onlooking eyes of those in my town i don't know how you're going to do it but please i no longer want to be thirsty You see, she's got the right request, but she's got the wrong reason. We can do that as well. We can go to God with all sorts of demands, expecting all sorts of things that we think will make us happy, when what we ultimately really need is Him. The Gospel is not, go to God and He'll give you everything you want. But go to God and he will give you your greatest need. Jesus wants to go deeper. That we wouldn't just come to God for worldly needs, but that we would go to him to meet our greatest need. Life forever with him. In a way, Jesus is saying to the woman, you have been looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Your thirst is killing you. And all of the remedies that you are trying, were well, they killing you too. So often in life, we settle in going to God for the things that don't last. We can think that if only that situation changed or if I had a little more, then my dissatisfaction, well, it would be transformed into satisfaction. It can actually put so much pressure on us, can put so much guilt on us, that will only lead to disappointment for when we can't be satisfied from within ourselves or from the world. Now, of course, it's not bad to ask um, for God to provide for our daily needs. Indeed, the prayer that Jesus taught us does that in part. But what God wants us to do is to look to him. In my previous job, so before I was a minister, I, I worked with some of the most senior executives in the world. They had worked their whole lives, they had uh, really hard to climb to the top of their profession, they traversed the globe, they were paid a fortune, they gained reputation and power. But more often than not, every single person that I met was miserable. <laughs> For when they, what they discovered when they got there to the top was that they had been sold a lie and that all of this didn't really satisfy We can plumb the depths and breadth of the world or look inside ourselves to try and find the source and the substance of satisfaction, but it's kind of like preparing for a triathlon by only eating at McDonald's. Why are you trying to do it on your own? Not only can't you, but Jesus has done it for you. He's washed away our sin. He's opened up relationship with him. He's given us His spirit, a spring of water that bubbles up to eternal life, and all we have to do is ask. Verse 10, back to verse 10. Jesus answered her, "If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and He would have given you living water." The, the way that we receive the living water which Jesus offers is so simple. It's just by going to the one who's offered it for free. Absolutely astounding news that we're being shown through the woman that anyone at all can find freedom from guilt and condemnation. Man or woman, no matter the race, no matter their background, everyone is invited to ask Jesus for his gift and the promise is he will give it to you. Verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I wonder if you want to receive that gift. All you need to do is ask. Anyone can ask. And if you've already received that gift then Jesus has promised that the life we look forward to will bubble up and begin to be experienced today. That's the promise. That our satisfaction wouldn't be dependent upon what is happening around us or to us, but in the certainty and the security of the future that awaits and that Jesus is with us right now. As R.C. Sproul, I think, so helpfully put it, if Christ is in me... And I in him, then that relationship is not a sometimes experience. When I was about two and a half years old, and my brother was six months old, my mum and my dad separated. Mum said that the year that followed was the most difficult and challenging year of her life. She said that there was uh, so much uncertainty. There were so many unknowns, and I can only begin to imagine what that would have been like. Yet she says that she has never known the peace like she did that year, because without any resources of her own, without being able to see any way forward in her own capacity, she prayed and she trusted like never before in the one who, through Jesus, had mapped out eternity for her. You see, real hope and meaning doesn't overlook or minimise our sorrows and longing. In fact, we're encouraged to bring them to God. Real hope sees the reality of our world in light of what Jesus has promised to do and the gift that you can grasp today. But if we keep making the world the source of our satisfaction, then we cannot possibly expect that God will be the source of our peace. One of my most favourite details of this account comes right at the end of this interaction between the Samaritan woman and Jesus, as Jesus, after Jesus, had a bit of a talking to, to the disciples. So having heard everything that Jesus said... Uh, first being sceptical, then wanting Jesus to satisfy only her physical thirst, then to realising that he's offering something so much more, we read in verse 28 that she leaves her jar and goes back to tell her town about Jesus. Uh, of course, she may very well have been intending to collect her jar later, but in this extraordinary moment of clarity, she now sees what's truly important she thought her greatest need was the water and avoiding all her town. But now, having encountered the one who has quenched her ultimate thirst, she reprioritizes dropping the jar and taking up telling others about Jesus. And the fruit, the verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They came to know, we're told, that this man really is the Saviour of the world. Jesus knows you. He alone can satisfy your greatest thirst. Will you ask Him to? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that it's through Jesus that you have given us living water living water that bubbles up like a spring to eternal life. We thank you so much that it is to his death and resurrection, not because of anything we've done or have promised to do, that we can have security of life forever with you. Lord, please help us to bring all the things in which we are unsatisfied, the longings have gone unfulfilled, that we might bring those to you as in doing so grow. In our trust and satisfaction in the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would forgive us when we chase after things that do not fulfill and help us every day to make Jesus our chief delight. Lord, I especially pray for anyone here today who has not yet come to Jesus. Lord, how I pray that they would so be growing in their wonder of the beauty of Jesus and his gift of living water. I pray that we would hear this encounter and be reminded that it's because of him that anyone and everyone is welcome, that there is no barrier that stops us from coming to you, of being washed clean, of rejoicing in relationship with you and also receiving the gift of your spirit. So Lord, may we delight in you this very day.